0: So, hi, Steve.
1: Hey, Mel, how are you?
0: Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you,
2: too.
0: It feels like it's all gone in a real blip, actually, um, with, well, even though everything was slow with me this year, it just feels like it's passed in a blip. How was yours?
1: Um, has, it, has it been and gone already? <laughs> the last year for me, <laughs> it's just gone in such a flash. Um, I sort of remember um, we were talking about whether to put the tree up and and it's still up and other people have taken theirs down so i've sort of lost all sort of perceptions of time at the moment because it's you, know, you never know where the bins are going to be emptied the trees coming up coming down yeah, i've got no idea at the moment but yeah it was all right you know apart from uh we had uh, one of our family members uh my other half's mum she was been in hospital all over christmas and new year
2: so oh. um
0: yeah
2: Poor yeah lady. so it's but she's okay
0: yeah but it's that mix sorry to hear that but sometimes it's that mix isn't it of um challenging difficult things because you've got close family members and you worry about them as Mm -hmm. well as you know we're celebrating and moving towards the new year and I don't know about you I do love new years I don't like so much moving into the October November months but um I think that sort of takes us nicely really is as part of the new series that I'm doing of bridging psychology and spirituality is really um starting to look at in a deeper way our health and well-being but primarily well-being which can encompass mental health it can encompass health as you know um and part of that is really looking at um different types of practice holistic practice different uh ways that people work that support people so we met um i think about 2011 um through meetup which was quite mm-hmm. new back then
1: wasn't it but, um, it was yeah that we, there was a uh, somebody put together a group um a social group and on meetup and i just happened to sort of come across it i can't even remember how now and uh, i met you on a walk and there was a few other people and uh, we right. just started chatting because we had a lot in common with regards to you know the different therapeutic aspects of stuff yeah so that was probably about 2011 yeah that's,
0: yeah yeah Yeah, and I know I I did go on to uh, run a meetup group. And I think, um, you know, all throughout my life, and I think when we spoke as well, is uh, I've always been mindful about not only the work that I do, but how do I support myself and my own well-being and uh, continue to support people because it's a balance, isn't it? And I I think meetup for me was a way of socialising after being quite academic. And looking after the kids and it was great to meet like-minded people. So mm-hmm. I think for the first you know um few minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it takes, it'd be really good to find out a bit about uh you and your background and what led you to do what you do because I know you do a range of different modalities and anyone who's listening today um it'd be great to have you back on again because I think you cover so much and they're all quite distinct and different and what I'd like people to hear about is your journey what what gets us thinking about the work that we do but also uh people that you come into contact with and the difference in those approaches and what you've noticed because i'm i'm trained in uh, several psychotherapeutic approaches and some are great with some people and 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 others are great with some people and i haven't got a particular one but i know from the research different things mm. um uh, can work better say like with anxiety depression things like that So that being said, um, welcome, Steve, and tell us a little bit about you, your journey, and what you've been up to.
1: Um, So I've been um, a therapist pretty much full-time since the very, very early 2000s, 2001, 2002, something like that. Um, But it all started for me um, probably around about 1994, 95. Um I was working for uh, an airline, and I had been promoted to become a supervisor, a duty manager, if you like, um, of a group of specialists who look after um, famous people, I suppose is the easiest way to explain it. Um, so these people were the the most professional customer service agents in the airline. And I, as being ex-cabin crew and um, check-in staff, this that, and the other, I just assumed that just being nice to people that were working for you um, would get the job done. But I suddenly realised that you know it, it come some sometimes it can come across as being uh, a bit weak mm. when you're being nice to people all the time. So and I suddenly realised that I was lacking in skills of assertiveness. And uh, a friend of mine who was staying with me at the time was telling me about this uh, American chap that he was um, reading a book about called Anthony Robbins. Now, I'd never heard of Anthony Robbins at this point. And he kept on trying to throw this book down my throat by Anthony (laughs) Robbins called Unlimited Power. And the more he kept on saying, you've got to read this book, the more I was like, you're blooming just trying to brainwash me. And I what? was resisting every opportunity. Think, no, I'm not. Don't try and throw stuff at me. And uh, anyway, one day he was out and I noticed that the book was just sat there on the side. And I thought, well, if I have a quick peek inside the first few pages, he won't know. Then I won't have to sort of pretend I'm resistant. Anyway, I started reading it. Oh, my goodness. It was amazing. What an amazing book. So, and it sort of opened my eyes into the basics of how you can persuade people and motivate people in a congruent way. So, um, I was absolutely uh, over the moon that I'd discovered somebody that could share something with me in this book that would help me at work to become a better manager. So, um, it turned out. Uh, that one of my friends was also going on an Anthony Robbins um, course face-to-face one I don't know if it was it might have been at Wembley or the NEC but anyway in 1995 it was called um, Unleash the Power Then Weekend so I went and on the first night (coughs) excuse me on the first night of the four-day course one of the things they get you to do is to um, walk on fire. <laughs> 2000 degree hot burning coals or barefoot. And because uh, friends of mine had done it the year before and they all said it was just fantastic, this that, and the other. I thought, right, I'll be doing this. And uh, I turned up and and then I noticed um, about 15 minutes before we were about to go out. There were I mean, there were thousands of people at this event. And uh, about 15 minutes before we were due to go out and he kept on saying, okay right, we're getting ready to go out and then I suddenly realized I was terrified that I, <laughs> I was going to trip over, a, go up in a ball of flame and die a horrible painful death. you know it was so vivid in my head. I've yeah. I'll say, I'll say, what the heck am I trying to do? Walk on fire? Am I mad?" And um, but this is the power of Antti Robbins. He said at the time he said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, just need some quiet. My assistants are individuals here in the group and those three individuals look like they're having a bit of a problem and they look like they're a bit worried. And he said, I just want to talk to those three. I thought, well, I'm definitely one of them. (laughs) So I, I was all ears thinking, right, I need to listen to what he's got to say. Knowing what he said then, now I realise it was probably only three people that didn't have a problem with it. I think that (laughs) people did. But I just assumed I was one of the only three people that had a problem with it. And he said, look, you know, firstly, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. And I thought, oh, relief. I don't have to do it if I don't want to. He said, however, what I'd like to offer you is the opportunity to help the other people around you. And uh, to do that, if you want to, is to take your shoes and socks off, roll your trouser legs up and just pretend to the people around you that you're going to do it. And that way you won't be putting them off if they're wavering. I thought, I can do that. I can do that because I like helping people. So that was it. Shoes and socks were off, trouser legs rolled up. And I thought, right, I'm just going to pretend to everybody that I'm going to do it because I know I don't have to do it. So, but I can pretend that I'm going to do it because I know that's going to be helpful. So I went along with everything, you know, he was saying, you know, we have to walk along in all together, we have to walk in time and we have to have our eyes above the horizon level and we have to keep chanting cool, wet moss, cool, wet moss cool wet moss so we were all walking along all in line like soldiers we're all walking in time saying cool wet moss and I kept on jeeing everyone else up come on we're gonna do this you're gonna be brilliant come on (laughs) got out to where the queue was and uh, I could feel from about 20 feet away even 100 feet away really I could feel this wave of heat like the sun (laughs) it was that hot This 2000 degrees was like nearly making my skin blister on my face. It was so hot. But I thought it doesn't matter because I know these people want to do it and I'm just helping them. I'm not going to put them off because if I put them off, I might cause them harm. So I was desperate not to cause them harm. I was desperate to make sure they had all the support they needed. So I kept on saying to them, come on, we can do this. Cool, wet moss. Got nearer and nearer to the front (laughs) of the queue. And then there was one person in front of me. And they tapped him on the shoulder and then he just started marching across. And there were sparks flying up from his feet. And I thought, blimey, that looks hot. Cool wet moss, cool wet moss. <laughs> and all of a sudden they tapped me on the shoulder. And in my head, I'm thinking, right, I'm turning that way, and walking off. I don't want to do it. But my body just went straight across. I was oh, wow. walking across. I was halfway across the fire. And all of a sudden I went,
2: cool wet moss, cool wet
1: moss. <laughs> Got to the other side and I thought, how did that work my feet didn't catch fire <laughs> and then when we went back in he said I just want to say I haven't really taught you how to walk on fire he said teaching you how to walk on fire is very easy what I've taught you is how to do something you thought was absolutely impossible,
2: really impossible.
0: wow thought, oh my
1: goodness and he said now what other things in your life which are nowhere near as difficult to do as what you've just done how else can you transform your life by thinking those things are now possible and i thought like he said you know if you wanted to ask a raise or ask somebody out on a date and i thought oh my goodness yeah i can do anything so that was a really good metaphor a physical um metaphor for how you sort of look at all sorts of obstacles as being impossible but actually they're really not like walking on fire so excuse me yeah so it was an amazing weekend and that if you like, transformed my whole life because he said um, the tools and techniques um, that I'm sharing with you this weekend were, um, they come from a technique called neuro linguistic programming. Yeah. And um, so, of course, from that point onwards, that was the beginning of my journey, really. And I went off and did all the NLP courses that I could find, you know, foundation courses. Practitioner courses, master practitioner courses, even trainer, NLP trainer courses. Wow. And um, it sort of gave me a set of tools that enabled me, all the while, whilst I was working for the airline, to become a much better manager, right becoming more adaptable, becoming more flexible, but becoming more assertive with it and far more respected. And I kept getting promoted at work. So it was obviously proof was in the pudding. So that's pretty much how it all started um and if i look back all the things that i've learned in this last 25 30 years you know since that happened um 23 years or whatever um i think nlp um was for me the best foundational skill that i could learn because it enabled me to have a structure of how pretty much any therapy you want to use works whether that's a psychological one whether it's a physical one whether it's something to do with manifestation whether it's something to do with uh, spirituality all of it has got to have a structure and NLP gave me an, uh, an understanding of how structure works within any uh, language whether that's to self or to others it's any other so that yeah that's pretty much how I started.
0: So, just winding back a little bit after that amazing moment that you had, which must have been fairly mind blowing at the time, and you know, you leave there approaching your whole life in a different way. Mm. Um, You talked about how it it really made a difference at work. Had you noticed anything else outside of that? Because I think if anybody goes and sees an NLP practitioner, a lot of people still only think it's used in business or it's tagged on with coaching or, um, you know, the some of the processes are only used in sales and as you know I think it was about the same time actually I think mine was about 2003 when I did the uh, practitioner training I've done that twice because I loved it so much the first mm. time I wanted to be sometimes when you layer the information you get a much deeper understanding of that so did you notice anything else happening around that time or was it are you a is it a study process
1: um I noticed also um in my personal life there were at that time um i was going through some enormous challenges because um not only was i professionally doing better at work um i was also um personally um going through some big challenges because i was also at that time i was a special constable for thames valley police and um or a friend of mine um had been arrested for something and he just uh, put two and two together and assumed because i was a special constable when he'd been arrested that i had something to do with it mm. which wasn't the case at all however um a, a, another friend of mine who was friends with both of us He said, I just want to let you know that so-and-so thinks it's you that's uh, caused him to be arrested. Now, without all my NLP training, this and the other, I probably would have first been devastated. um, And secondly, I would have probably been protesting my innocence and possibly even getting upset and annoyed about it and all those things. Whereas on this occasion, when he said that, although it was a big shock to me, because i had nothing to do with you know it was it purely was a coincidence that that he'd been arrested for what he had been arrested for um totally separately um to me being a special constable and um but the very first thing i thought was well i can understand why he thinks it's me Mm. so i was putting myself in his shoes to try and understand the problem from his point of view so i could try to see if there was something that i could uh understand which he hadn't um but that was probably the first time i realized that i it had allowed me to uh having those skills of nlp had allowed me to sort of grow up because i wasn't i wasn't acting in an infantile manner like i might have done otherwise it was i thought i wasn't doing any of that i was like well, this is actually quite interesting how he's come to the conclusion that he thinks it's me when, well, well, it isn't me, but I'm trying to understand it from his point of view. And and I think coupled with my experience doing the Anthony Robbins weekend and all the NLP this and the other, I suddenly realised that I'd grown up. I was acting like a proper adult now, not an emotional person. I was actually looking at it purely unemotionally, but connecting to his emotions so I could understand empathically how it must be for him and is there something that I can say or do that would help him to deal with what he was going through um so that was a big jerk that was a big eye-opener for me back then
0: there's two things that come to mind with that that um and I think I'd like to unwrap the the idea of what NLP actually is and does is Part of NLP is really like you say, it's understanding the structure, but it's like the structure of who we are as human beings, how we function, isn't it how how our brains work, how we take it, you know, how we perceive the world, and what information becomes available to us and and I certainly know in the early days for me i I'd, I'd already done four years of therapy training and was now able to practice with people, but there was something about that that didn't sit with me there were, I felt like. I was missing another half of how you can practice like it's all very well knowing that something's upset you and it's come from the past and you know a lot of things go back to parenting or things that happened to you as a child but then I kept on thinking well so what and with the NLP it was and as you were talking it 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 reminded me of of the phrase the map is not the territory Mm -hmm. And and that was something that we were taught really early on in NLP and I've got my map and way of looking at the world and the way that we look at the world often is actually outside of our conscious awareness. We just do what we do until we come up against an, uh, an obstacle. And, um, and then we are really got to sit down and either blame other people or, or look internally or step out of that, as you say, step mm-hmm. into the adult, which then reminded me of Eric Burns model, parent, adult, child. Mm-hmm. And often, when we go into stressful modes we go back to that child who whose needs haven't been met or um or there's something that you know has been activated that was similar to something else before because that could have been a pattern for you but what's what was fascinating with nlp that really blew my mind for the first year was every process i did what i learned and how to work with somebody in a sort of coaching facilitated therapeutic engagement you know an hour with somebody was how quickly someone could shift beyond what they were able to comprehend you could see the the physiological changes Mm -hmm. you could see you hear a difference in the way that they spoke and that's why it was interesting to say what what did you notice because when we were working with clients they could come in and say this is my problem that's my problem that's my problem and and I think um the founders of NLP used to say, well, someone tells you what the problem is. You kind of know what the solution is. You kind of know what you're working with. And it's how something's like 180 degree turnaround can have you have a huge impact. And yours was really quite fast, wasn't it? To go from reacting as a child to then responding and sitting back and not getting caught in the emotions in." Getting overwhelmed or having to really do a process on yourself was just really being able to go, okay, what's their map of the world look like?
2: And mm-hmm. wonder yeah, out. For me, it
1: was, I think, the, the, probably one of the things that made the biggest difference in the shortest time was the art of rapport. Mm. where you basically build rapport with somebody else, good, bad, or indifferent. You know, that could be somebody who is in a sad situation or an angry situation or a loving situation. And and I was trying to build rapport with this other person, even though he wasn't there. I was trying yeah. to understand rapportfully what must, what must his map of the world be like? What must it be like for him? And how is he coming to that conclusion? And is there some information that I can give him mm. that would... Um, be helpful to him, um, which I, I, you know, even now, when I, and it took, funnily enough, it took nearly 10 years after um, this guy thought that it was me that had contributed to his um, situation. It took 10 years before he realised who the, the real person was. Wow. It wasn't, and then, you know, it wasn't, he knows it wasn't me in any way, shape or form. But it took 10 years for him to realise that. And and it was quite an eye-opener to, to not feel smug because I wasn't sort of thinking, see, I told you, it was a case of, well, I knew all the time it wasn't me. Yeah. But I felt sorry for him because um, I knew that whilst his attention was focused on me, the person who really had caused his problem, or should I say... Um, contributed to him being arrested was still in his close circle of friends and he had no idea who it was and I felt sorry for him that he was trusting somebody who was stabbing him in the back and um of course none of you know I didn't know who it was you know so um I couldn't help him by telling him that but I just did I I noticed that you know here I am being accused of something and here I am feeling sorry for him (laughs) so but there's so
0: many things on a therapeutic level in that you know that if a client comes to you and they say they've been accused of something and they haven't done it like you say you can spend your time trying to you know rationalize explain give evidence get caught in that scenario and really want that person to see in a different way and I think mm-hmm. sometimes that's the crux of difficulties in relationships isn't it is you want the person to see you in the way that they're not seeing you the things that you've been accused uh, in and whatever that is and They can be patterns that people get stuck in. And Mm. in a way, you was able to not climb out of a pattern, just not connect with it, even if it hadn't been there before. It was really about being able to step out of that um, in a very different way. And that's what I always loved about both the hypnotherapy that I learned and the NLP was how empowering that was, because all of a sudden you it's very hard not to be responsible for yourself Mm. at some point you have to go okay is all of the issues so-called issues that I'm dealing with um, related to me in the way that I uh, perceive the world and mm. are people actors uh, in that process and how do I want to change the show you know and what it is is unfolding mm.
2: Mm. and
0: simply does it cause me pain or does it cause me joy Mm. You know, and it's that bittersweet. And how do I, and then the third angle, you know, on a spiritual level is you you come out of that polarity completely and you just look at the world as it is. And mm. 10 years mm. is a long time, isn't it? And like yeah, you said, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It, and it's interesting because, you know, the guy, he's a lovely guy. You know, um, it was just um, a horrible situation for him to be going through yeah you know, whether whether he was um deserving of being arrested or not is irrelevant you know it, it, it's not about accusing him of being innocent or guilty or anything it was just the fact that he'd gone through that process and assumed straight away that it was me and all I wanted to do was to help him
2: yeah
1: um so uh yeah it, but it, what I what I've, I, I sort of grew into understanding was people have their patterns of behavior that they go back to when you know the crap hits the fan if you like yeah and they don't have this flexibility uh, or these skills at being able to um understand and rationalize what's really going on they just act emotionally and and here i was not doing that any longer i wasn't uh, i wasn't blaming him or blaming somebody else or trying to accuse someone or saying it wasn't me i just thought i mean i did actually say to him yeah it wasn't me but i just said it as matter of factly but um yeah it did make me understand and learn a lot about myself at that point as much as learning about you know the the other people as well um and and interestingly the person who was responsible for him being arrested i bumped into that person a few years later before I knew it was this person who was responsible and uh, I bumped into this person whilst I was um doing one of my other passions which is photography I was photographing a wedding and I noticed this person at a distance who was very hesitantly walking towards me and this person said oh I I I didn't know whether to approach you because I didn't know whether you'd be angry at me and I thought what would I be angry with you for I I, still not knowing that this person was the person Uh that had if you like allowed me to be the person to take the blame but um yeah it was fascinating that this person had such a guilty conscience that, that they thought that I was going to be angry with them and I thought I've got no idea what you're angry why you think I'm angry at all and um so and that's
0: was, the process of detachment in a way isn't it you know yeah you
1: yeah you yeah i wasn't buying into it you know i wasn't carrying the label of being this that or the other mm-hmm. i was just yeah. like yeah no yeah, yeah. if you've got an issue then that's your issue you know how can i help you with it sort of thing um so yeah so that's how i i think that nlp gave me a, a fantastic foundation to be able to be a better person for me to be happier in myself oh. um and it also gave me some really key skills professionally too um, and I didn't really ever use them from a sales point of view. But I, I suppose one of the things that you could say it helped with any sales that I may have had uh, some influence in was just my ability to connect with people and of mm. course, people buy things from people. And I noticed, you know, uh, I had a uh, one of the I had a temporary job after I left the airline and before I became a therapist full time, um, there was a very slight period of time in between whilst I was deciding what to do. And uh, so, yeah, so I was one of these canvassers in the high street um, and uh, I noticed that I was getting better results um, than some of the professional salespeople. And uh, some of these professional salespeople have been doing it for years, couldn't understand why none of my um, deals fell through. Even though they may have done a lot more deals, a lot more of theirs fell through, but hardly any of mine cancelled. And that's because I connected with these people and built rapport with them. So it was bringing up a level of trust that the salespeople couldn't match, you know, because they were too salesy.
2: Mm. Because I was
1: just being genuinely interested in is the product that I'm trying to introduce you to, is it actually going to be of a benefit to you? If it's not, there's no point and um, so I didn't have hardly any cancellations from that point of view so I actually did better so it can help in sales not from a teach you how to um, bullshit your way through to make a sale but actually just genuinely connect with somebody and see does this person require the product is it going to be a benefit to them and if so how can I help them to make the decision that's best for them and um, and that is I think one of the key things that makes a salesperson a good salesperson
0: yeah it's that fine line of integrity isn't it you know Mm. that if you've learned and they can be very powerful tools that can help you build up rapport get to know people really quickly build up that connection Mm. I think that's why in some circles NLP had a bit of a bad rap really is because they have been used so you can see some of the techniques being used in business now I mean I think Mm. it's just part and parcel of some uh, training sessions but when you um, use it as part of creating a therapeutic process one of the things if if you've ever come across uh, QAura there's um, a lot of different spaces dedicated to people who either are going to a particular therapy or all therapy is the one thing that anyone that's uh, I've worked uh that's worked for me that works with clients or where I've worked with clients is looking for is they want to be heard they want to mm. feel listened to they want to feel validated. understood and validated and no matter what the issue is or what we call the problem is it's the core components of what most human beings are looking for mm. and we've talked you know in in the past um about there are lots of different approaches out there but like I said to you sometimes having sometimes only being a listener and validating and creating a space for somebody to feel safe and heard and share things that maybe they've not told with any anyone before is really important however some people do need a bit of a nudge they've got to a place in their life where as they say if you keep doing the same thing what is it what's that phrase you keep doing if you Uh, always
1: do what you've always done you always get what
0: you've always got got, yeah and they get stuck and Mm. they don't know uh, a way forward and sometimes need to get beyond who they think they are because often we're a product of our conditioning of our childhoods of our Mm. uh, of what society said is okay for you as a man as a woman as a child as an adult and so The process of learning that, like you say, in particular, can be really beneficial. I got so much out of it. And I um I I worked in schools initially. I worked with parents, but and often that was around the communication they had, vice versa, with the children. But I was working with a lot of teenagers. And, you know, if you work as a counselor and you go into school and you sit there and you're waiting for someone to talk um you're going to be sat there waiting a long time Mm. so you need sometimes a range of tools that would just facilitate a dialogue so that they knew whatever they came out with whatever they said was relevant or not relevant you just
2: Mm. create
0: utilize some tools and utilize some tools to give them um to take back into the classroom to take back home because um some of those young people their family life was not going to change so in a way what you're doing was was skilling them up To make them more resilient to manage the circumstances they were in, and maybe not get attached, maybe not got drawn in, and not create these patterns, Mm, mm. because that's when the patterns were either getting formulated or created even further. So,
2: um, Mm.
1: because people tend tend to have a problem when they feel that they've run out of choices of what behaviors they can use in a situation.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. You know, if you're giving them a few different tools you're you're teaching them how to be flexible themselves when the need arises um and it's you know you run out of those options that's when you've got a problem
0: so in terms of the clients you've come into contact with because I know that you went on and uh, uh learned a whole range of other things and it'd be great to hear about a bit more of that in a moment um what are the kind of tools that you felt because once you've got the rapport and someone's in the room with you, what are the kind of tools that you felt that you just, you know, was in your toolbox all the time that you pulled out and just seemed to be? Well, it effective?
1: did. It's interesting because um, I sort of integrated things into myself so much so that I don't think of them as being tools anymore. It's right. part of who I am as a person. Um, but one of the, th- I think one of the most effective um, things is, Uh, an NLP technique called pattern interrupt Mm. where you know somebody might be in um, deep depression or they might be in uh, mad panic and anxiety um, or they might be really angry or something and being able to interrupt that pattern that's going on in their mind momentarily breaks the pattern of behavior so that you can interject and then choose a different path. A little bit like if, you know, the old fashioned days where you have an LP on a record player and it would spin around and you put the stylus on it and you'd listen to it and have a little bop. If you accidentally scratched the record, the record would never play the same way again right and pattern interrupts are a bit like that so somebody might be going oh,
2: I, I
1: can't cope and all of a sudden you say oh, i've noticed you've got red shoes on <laughs> and they'll say what What has my red <laughs> shoes got to do with it and at that moment you've interrupted their flow yeah and you can then say okay right well let's choose to do something different or go here there and everywhere or whatever but basically, and then you say, oh, "Sorry, you, you were doing doing your thing." Uh, can you go back to being the anxious person again? And they go, "What?" And, and it's so, hard to pull it back. Yeah, so it's it's like you know, if you're having a conversation with somebody and somebody interrupts you, you're thinking, well, "What was I talking about?" Yeah. And those little pattern interrupts, it's just a little throwaway comment sometimes, but it's enough to just sort of um jolt somebody out of. Uh, a stuck moment a stuck you know they might be stuck in depression or stuck in anxiety or stuck in anger or whatever so i think that's probably the thing where if somebody is really getting into the flow of being upset and they can't seem to get themselves out of it is to uh i'll give i'll give you a little story if i may i remember a lady came to me once and um This is trying, I I suppose the the story is illustrating the power of the pattern of interrupt, Mm. um, rather than reducing what she came to me for as being insignificant, because that is not the point at all. This lady came to me with a significant problem where she had been attacked. I won't go into any of the details Mm. or anything like that, but let's just say that it was a traumatic experience for her and every time we even tried to approach the subject of what she wanted to resolve she would just go into a ball of tears and um and I had this little uh rubber um gadget that um when you squeeze it in your hand it, sound, it sounds like you're passing wind <laughs> and and uh, I don't know what on earth came over me to think of using that but i I just remember being in the therapy room and she was just she was inconsolable every time we went into this you know even before getting to the, the the real traumatic aspect of it but every time she even thought about talking about it she would burst into tears and um very long story short um i said to her okay tell me this story from the beginning and and in my head I thought right as soon as I notice any sort of waver in her emotional state from being a calm person whether the emotion goes up or goes down I'll pattern interrupt and um, so I had this little rubber thing down near my pocket and she couldn't see what I was doing but um, she started to talk about something and and at the moment I detected that she was about to get upset I just squeezed this little rubber thing and it went <laughs> and <laughs> he just looked at me. and I went, I, I'm so sorry. I said, I don't know what happened. I'm really, really apologize. I, that's I'm totally unprofessional. I, I do apologize. Please go back and start again. So she went back to the beginning of the story. And what was fascinating, she got to the same point in the story <laughs> where I'd broken the pattern. Now she went past that point. Wow. Still in motion. And she went, uh, you know, a little bit further and a little bit further, and then of course the some emotion came in. So I squeezed this thing again, and and, uh, and I just looked at her pan faced, and she looked <laughs> at me, and the look she had this this time it was a look of disgust. She went as if, how dare you? How rude! And I just, I- I'm really sorry. I don't know what I've eaten. And anyway, <laughs> I said, sorry. This is really important. Go back to the beginning and start again. I want to hear all of it. So she went back to the beginning. She went past the first point where she had an emotion with no emotion. She went past the second point in the story where she had emotion and still had no emotion. She got to the third point. And as soon as the emotion started, I squeezed this thing again. And she looked at me and there was a little smirk on the corner of her mouth as if to say, this is actually getting ridiculous now. Right. And then I said, uh, uh, and again, I protested innocence. I said, oh, I said, I'm really embarrassed. I said, this has never happened before. I'm really sorry. Go back and start again. And again, she went through each of the points where previously she'd been upset. And she went straight past that point with no emotion on each of those now four occasions. She then got to um, where she was describing the moment of being attacked. And again, I fired this thing off and there was another sound of you know passing wind or whatever and she started laughing (laughs) uncontrollably and she was trying to describe this moment of trauma while she was laughing and I was laughing with her not at her but with her Mm. and we both had tears rolling down our face And I said, no, I'm sorry, this is really important. You must go back to the beginning. And she was crying even more. Oh, my God. In the end, you know, when you are laughing and you can't breathe, it's so funny. Mm. That's where we were. And at this point, I then pulled the gadget out and I showed it to her. And I said, I wasn't really passing wind. I was doing this. Well, that was it. She was screaming the place down with laughter. The funniest thing she thinks she's ever seen before. And I said, right. Right. Transparent now, no gadgets, nothing. Actually, tell me the story. And well, do you know what? She could not tell me any part of the story without it making her laugh, really, really laugh. And so there was no traumatic experience from what she'd experienced before. Whenever she thought of it, it was just like uncontrollable anger and upset and trauma and all those things. And now it was just sheer laughter all the way through. So we changed the subject went on to something else with no emotion at all just general chit chat this and the other and i just said look look i'm just want to make sure how you're feeling about it and because we were all the laughter had gone at this point and she went back and then she told me the story she went through all the whole thing and she told me exactly what happened and how she was being attacked this and the other and she just said it all matter of factly, she said, yeah, it's just one of those things that happens, you know, because I feel nothing about it. She goes, it's a situation which obviously I wouldn't like to happen again. She said, but no, she goes, I don't feel any upset, no trauma, nothing. And I thought all of that was purely down to the power of the pattern interrupt. Nothing else. It was Absolutely. just interrupting a moment of uh, uncontrollable emotion by breaking that pattern yeah and that was it so there was no validation there was nothing to say yes you deserve to this and the other now I, I understand that some people might be listening to this afterwards and thinking well that was a bit of a risk and that was a bit unprofessional <laughs> it
2: was a bit
0: of a risk. Um,
1: <laughs> and I have to say that the, re- the reason that I did it was because I just sort of had a gut reaction right on this occasion she because of the way that she'd been speaking up until we'd even started doing it, I realized she was stuck in a pattern of behavior. Yeah. And it was that pattern of behavior that I, as a therapist, needed to help her break. But you can't tell somebody to break it. You've got to actually break it without them being consciously aware of it. Yeah. And then explain it afterwards, by all means. Yeah. So, and I, and I do remember... Um, Uh, Another example of something like that, where Tony Robbins himself was filmed um, talking to a guy that was suicidal. And this guy, he, he honestly wanted to end his life. And if he could have ended his life there and then, he would have done. And I remember Anthony Robbins just did a pattern interrupt with him. And it was, you know, and he did something which was totally unexpected. You know, he made fun of something that this guy was wearing. And the guy was sort of, you could see that there was this construct in his brain was just going, what did you, hang on a minute, I'm supposed, to, please feel sorry for me, I want to die. And here you are making fun of something. And you could see that there was this disconnect in his, he could not understand, why are you talking about something about what I'm wearing? And all of a sudden, that was just, that moment was enough to open the door for Anthony Robbins to come in with a little bit of humor about something. And it just changed this guy's life. Now, maybe people might be thinking you're trying to oversimplify something and take away mm-hmm. the importance of it. No, not at all. It was recognizing where somebody is stuck in a pattern of behavior and breaking it. And I think the key thing about um, any therapist is how flexible is that therapist? How flexible is that therapist by enabling them, enabling your client to come out of a problem state? Yeah. Because when you're in a problem state, you can't fix the problem with a problem state. You've got to come out of it, even momentarily, to be able to see the wood for the trees. And that's all the pattern interrupt was doing at this point. And it wasn't something that I could plan in advance now i wasn't thinking oh when this lady comes in and tells me about a trauma i'm going to start farting it wasn't it wasn't something that i could think of in advance it was just mm. my thinking on the fly if you like or mm. just making it up as i went along because when you when you are trusting your own intuition that you have the tools you have the rapport just use them mm. and if for whatever reason if i'd have gauged that her response was not what i was expecting or anything at all it wouldn't have carried on i wouldn't have carried on doing those things so it wasn't in some respects as risky as what it actually would seem to somebody who doesn't know what they're doing um
0: yeah i think there's two things i just wanted to highlight steve because when i originally trained as a therapist we were under the training model back then and i think it's still the same for a lot of people it's changing now that cbt has sort of taken a bit of a hold in the uk um the people were expected to come and sit with you and you might work with them for six weeks 12 weeks 16 weeks the average back then that we were allowed to offer was 12 weeks and part of what never sat with me was that if one, if somebody's in the mirror and they're coming to you and they're in deep distress, they're depressed, they're anxious, they feel like their life's falling apart and you, or you get the worried well, which life's sort of okay, but there's something that's going on that, that bothers them, they don't sleep or maybe they're drinking more, is it didn't feel right to me to sit there and just witness somebody doing that. There, there is something about, yes, definitely, hearing somebody building up rapport and and having integrity. There's also that, aspects of all that training that you get the toolbox like you say becomes integrated and it's there and the wisdom is when you bring knowledge and and skills and experience all together so that your system knows maybe what will work on, on on a deeper level with that client and that's the thing about some of the approaches is transformation is possible but I have managed clinicians over the last 15 years or even longer and I've worked with a lot of clinicians and they have a belief and one of the things I used to say in in my team I had about six clinicians at this one particular time period I said to them if they're working with a client we we would always do three sessions getting to know you finding out what's going on but within the first session it's what can they go away with today that will make them feel more hopeful, more empowered? Is it a tool? Is it a technique? Is it a book? What is it? They would come the second time to sort of review how the week's gone and how they've implemented some of the things they've tried. And all my therapists all have uh, different background. But if the therapist wanted to carry on working with them because they hypothesize they've got X problem, this problem, that problem, i say, okay, so how many sessions do you think that will take? And one of the things I learned in NLP is our expectations of people is very powerful. Mm -hmm. And if we expect that that person's gonna be depressed and anxious for the rest of their life based on the information that they've got, that we're going to convey that. Now, it may not be that they stay there because it might come across somebody else that challenges that thinking. And the one thing I notice around, because I've experienced depression myself in the past, is that it is a locked in state of mind. And, and one of the beautiful aspects of the research coming through now, there's somebody called Andrew Huberman, American, that is a neuroscientist. And he actually looks at what's happening with the patterning in the brain and which parts of the brain is being lit up when that person is reaccessing the same pattern. And depression and anxiety or any of these states that are really powerful are just patterns that have been walked down it's that same street you walk down every day that's been
2: Mm.
0: reaffirmed 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 and you're you're right is sometimes people if you said you know i've got this technique to try with you um and it may just turn things around and you walk out of here feeling great High proportion of people i come into contact with will probably look at you and go, no, you're crazy. That won't happen. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you've you've got to do things intuitively, but as stealthily because mm-hmm. if the brain's not waiting for that thing to happen. It The potential is there. And there are other clients that you can come into contact with that. Um, maybe there's a range of different things that are all connected. And sometimes you've resolved one and it wasn't really about that. You find out it's something else. So there's, there's a lot of things at play that the expectations of the client when they seek support, the expectations of the person who's trained in people and their capacity to grow. And whether we look at people and certainly in the work that I've done for local authorities and NHS through an illness model, a deficit model, or a potential positive model. And at the moment, what we're seeing, and this is why I've, I've sort of been talking about things in terms of bridging What we're seeing is we've got the old model, which is there's something wrong with you that we need to fix, and I can fix it. I don't think you can fix it. And we've got the positive psychology, the wellness model, the the things that you can do for yourself on your own journey and how and that's around your core beliefs, your ideas and your attitudes. And and that's where NLP sort of goes deeper, doesn't it? It looks at that foundation of that. It's looking at the yeah,
1: it's looking at the structure, not the sort of academic description of it. It's mm-hmm. functionally on a day-to-day basis um how do you produce the result that you've got at the moment and does it match what you want so you know even you know, down to you've just taken a slip uh, of your drink that you had in a glass there mm-hmm. how did you know you, you didn't think oh let's not analyze you know to the nth degree whether how do you know you were thirsty this that, and the other is yeah how how did you actually get to that outcome is well i was thirsty um it got to the point where blah 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 and so you, you sort of looking at the structure well that's the same with regards to being um broken you know I'm depressed I'm suicidal this and the other it is no different to making a decision to have a, gl- a glass of water than it is to jump off a bridge
2: mm. it's
1: just there's a structure of thinking processes that you go through now it may well be that some people are just acting kinesthetically so they're just noticing there's a difference in the the way the body feels Mm. Um, it might be an auditory thing where somebody is berating themselves um well whose voice is it that they're hearing you know are they berating themselves in their own voice In, in what tone is it um and if you can um do something simply like just be aware of that and change that internal voice to something which has got a different tone to it all of a sudden you get a different outcome Mm -hmm. um so there's lots of instant things that you can do which a lot of people will think is that it well yeah Yeah. sometimes it is that it you know you don't have to go to therapy for 12 weeks or 12 months or this and the other sometimes you're only in and out in 12 minutes now I'm not I think
0: that was your rate wasn't it yours was usually one session
1: usually I would see people for one session sometimes two um because we'd figure out well well what do you want to be able to do that you can't at the moment yeah well I want to be able to talk about this without getting upset okay what how do you how do you get upset and they said what do you mean how do you get upset well how does it upset you and all of a sudden I'm looking at that person's body language, their eye movements, their, the skin color, their breathing rate. I'm looking at all of that as a package of behaviors or thought processes or structure of how somebody produces being upset.
2: Mm.
1: And it may well be that there is one tiny piece of information within that, which might be the way they listen to their own internal voice. Just change that. And all of a sudden, the whole structure of the whole upset thing can't be reproduced just like you've scratched a record.
0: So just to let people know that clearly we've known each other a long time. And I don't even remember this, Steve, because I'm not sure I saw you after this is that I came to you once for a hip. Uh, I think it was hypnotherapy and NLP session because I had a fear of heights for years and I was going. I was booking a, a trip. I was going through France and Italy, and when I looked at the uh, trip itinerary that I wanted to do, that involved me going to the most beautiful place that in, in that whole uh, you know uh, trip itinerary, um, but that meant driving on the edges of the cliffs around uh, the Amalfi Coast. So I thought, I know Steve. Uh, I'm going to go and see him, and I came and had a session with you. Um, and I said, I'm not sure if it's going to wipe it away completely. I knew it was possible, but I'd had, I didn't live with it for so long. And sometimes we do live with something for a long time until something comes in front of us mm. and we have to find either a way through it or transform that or uh, uh, get rid of it completely. So I was open minded. And I think that was the thing. And I knew the power of this work. Um, and it was the first time. I was going to go abroad on my own and travel from place to place. So I had all sorts of anxieties because I can be a really confident person. But there were, I like a lot of people, I can have these fears that just pop up every time I think I'm going to take that uh, flight or I'm going to go this place, that place, stay in an Airbnb. But the biggest one was around the uh, the trip around the Amalfi Coast because I knew what I wanted to take a tour as well. Anyway, so I went from uh, France and I went through different parts of uh, France, starting off in Nice. Ended up in Italy, uh, Genoa. Went to Rome. Went to the Cinque region, and uh, got to the Amalfi Coast. And thought, right, I'm going to book a trip. I'd, I'd seen the buses that were taking that route around the Amalfi Coast. I thought, how on earth are they driving them? Because it looked like uh, it looked like the front of the bus would be over the edge all the time. So I chose to get a minibus and uh, got in there. And at the moment I totally forgot that I might have had some issues with height until I was on the minibus and I thought it's a bit too late now. But what was interesting is I was sat on the seat that looks over the edge and I got quite far and I felt okay. But what started to happen is there was a woman who was uh, sat in front of me who started to make some very strange noises. She came to the back of the bus, curled in a ball and sat um, screaming. And my whole trip, was now doing some <laughs> panic uh, bringing her down from the panic and the stress because she was scared of heights and I didn't realize it didn't know her and was now talking her through this trip on the Amalfi coast so there were sort of two things that took place it's the work that I had with you when I went uh, and did that and I've been across bridges I still get the occasional little uh twang sometimes you know uh my brain registers but um the Amalfi Coast it, it's very high up and it's very sheer drops um and I think there was also a massive pattern in some rocks happening at the same time because I spent so much time supporting her to get around there and then keeping her friends quiet because I was like don't disturb her I've just got a calm uh, while we're on there wondering whether to apply some strategies because no. I was in a small space and she might have told me where to go um but it was a really interesting experience and I know the power of uh hypnotherapy and NLP and I think you've done those kind of things for a few other people as well
1: oh yeah I I I think I think it was uh, over 20 years um as a full-time therapist I mean I I can't remember how many different modalities I've learned over the years I've probably forgotten more than most people have ever learned um, but hypnotherapy is one emotional freedom techniques uh, E yeah, yeah. trance uh, 3D mind um lots of different energy psychology modalities adding on um with regards to hypnotherapy as well uh, kinetic shift uh I did professional kinesiology um what else have I done uh, I think the thing that I've did most recently was uh, future life progression okay. Um, which is uh, very good that's enabling you to um be guided through to your future self if you like in a different life or within this life um or you can actually go to alternate versions of yourself um and that can also be in the past as well so it's a little bit like you know some people have past life regression. well this is the this same is as that but in the past or the future or the present or an alternate of of each of them. And those are really quite powerful because it enables you to understand that where you are now is not the end of the journey um, and it can equip you with knowledge that you weren't necessarily aware that you have at a cellular level. Um, Interesting. If you you, uh, agree to, you know, past lives and future lives this that, and the other so um yeah that's probably the thing that i've learned most recently which is uh really really interesting um but yeah so I, i've probably you know did all the lots of weight loss and stop smoking and phobias and all those things and those things yeah, to me it's not about seeing people for this that, and the other it's just mm-hmm. seeing people people are are really lovely interesting things you know that they that carry around a big sack full of problems that they've had for years that I think nobody else is ever going to understand me well
2: yeah
1: um to be honest most people have got the same things um and but it all comes down to being able to resolve this problem and function or they can't and so yeah. somebody who is a uh, a multi-skilled multi-modality Um, therapist if you like hasn't just got like oh I just do NLP or I just do hypnotherapy or I just do this it's a case of you go in with a thought process of isn't this fascinating that this person is producing a result and we're going to see if together we can get that person to create a different result one that's more empowering for them And it doesn't matter what the problem is, you know, that could be something, you know, majorly traumatic, you know, that somebody has had some sort of post traumatic stress
2: Mm. in a war
1: zone, or it might just be that um, somebody frightened them bursting a crisp bag behind their ear when they were a child. Um, Trauma is a very individual thing for every individual person. And uh, us as therapists, we're just there to facilitate change where possible. So somebody feels more equipped to be able to deal with those situations in the, in their present.
0: And that's where no matter what what way I used to work and the way that you work now is it's that key aspect of whenever we met someone is. Where are you right now? Because people come with gifts and skills um, and what's getting in the way of your functioning, and the way that we looked at it as a service is what's interfering in their function and capacity to be a parent to be an adult to work Mm. because that's where I used to help people understand that's the difference between having a mental health issue and having some mental health concerns or well-being concerns it's the capacity to function so if you're sleeping well if you're eating fairly well and good nutrition uh, you have some uh, friendships or connections maybe a hobby that you like and you're able to manage the different aspects of your life. It may be that something's come up, or you've got uh, an interview, or you want a life change or something, and you'll go and see someone in comparison to people who uh, would come through our service, which would either be suicidal, self-harm, or there's a lot of depression and anxiety around. Um, And that is often because they don't perceive that they've got the tools or the capacity to feel anything otherwise. Mm. And why I was really passionate of working with uh, teenagers, young people, was it was catching them before any of these uh, problematic patterns and behaviours got really embedded. Because sometimes if you keep trying to do something and you haven't got the tools to do that, uh, to manage, and, and that could be manage your schoolwork manage relationships with your teacher um play a good game as uh, soccer or cricket whatever is on a deeper level i've seen the impact that that has that affects their self-esteem their mm. core sense of self then you're sometimes working with something quite different and so they need to they need to experience one or two things that goes against what is now getting an embedded sense of who they are
2: mm. and
0: then getting them to think about who they are in the future uh, because kids are told a lot of the time by teachers you're not going to be any good unless you get your five a to c's and this happens and that happens it's so fundamental at that time because they're so heavily influenced by their friends and identity kids. is
1: everything i, I remember um Going back to Tony Robbins again, I, I keep on referring to him because I, I suppose he, as a person, uh, taught me more than a lot of people that I've, you know, worked with in the past. But he was talking about um, a lady who was a school teacher. She was one of these fill-in teachers when she would go in when somebody was off sick or something, and um, she'd been given the register um, for a class. Of people that she was um, looking after while somebody else had gone off sick with anxiety another teacher or something and she noticed on the register um, that each of the kids in the class also it had their IQ next to it oh. and and it was really she found it was absolutely fascinating That this school that she just, you know, for the first time she turned up to, they'd just given her the register, and next to every kid was their IQ. This and she thought, this is amazing! What a fantastic school! So she went through and did the register and noticed that this, you know, a lady called, you know, a kid called Mel might have had an uh, an IQ of one hundred and two, and another one further down had an IQ of one hundred and fifteen or something. So she thought, right, well, I really need to up my game now and she was teaching this uh, class of children according to their higher level of intellect than what she was expecting and uh at the end of the week it was the end of that term so she was just collecting a few of her bits and pieces thinking that she was only there for that week so she's put them in a box and as she was walking out to the car park the headmaster come running out and said oh um I noticed that you're taking all your stuff where are you going she goes oh well I you know I've done the week that I thought I was doing so I presume you don't need me anymore and he said oh are you joking you're one of the best teachers we've ever had and she said what he said you know you've turned around the reason that you were looking after that class is because that every teacher that we've had look after that class in the past uh, has gone off sick with anxiety because they can't control this group of people they're all delinquents and she said what are you talking about they're all really intelligent And he said, but this is the this is the class where anyone who's stupid and all these troublemakers, they all go to this one class and that's it. She said, but they're all so clever. They've all got such high IQs. And he said, where did you get that? She said, next to the register of every person's name has got their IQ number. He said, that's their locker number. (laughs) She honestly. And apparently this was a true story. Yeah. And so she was teaching them, assuming that they were intelligent kids and they were responding to her. And this comes down to this thing about identity, because we act according to who we think we are.
2: Yeah.
1: And if if you as an individual think that you're stupid, you're your outcomes are going to be vastly limited compared to if you think that you're a clever person
2: yeah
1: or a capable person or anything this the any other and, and i love that story because it really did highlight how if you treat people as if they're stupid you're gonna be proved right if you treat people as though they are special human beings who are enormously clever in their own way you're gonna be proved right And I think that's also with, you know, when you're a therapist, people coming in, you know, if this person is trying to convince you they're broken, then you've got a bit more work to do than if somebody comes in and says, I'm not broken. I just don't know how to resolve this issue. I don't know how to resolve this phobia or I don't know how to resolve this anxiety. And, you know, I've many times people have come in and and I've shown them and I've actually said to them, you're not broken. You just don't know how to deal with this situation. And i show them how to deal with it. And they go, oh, well, that's very interesting. And that's even people with post-traumatic stress. You know, I've had people from different special forces and, um, you know, the, the services, um, police, fire and ambulance, and I've had a few GPs and this and the other, who've come to me with post-traumatic stress, thinking that that's it, they've got this disorder. and uh, And of course, they haven't.
0: So just while I uh, plug in my uh, laptop, bear with me a sec. Um, It's interesting what you say, because yeah, identity is definitely a a huge thing. And you reminded me, it's a conversation I've had many times, and it's probably maybe why I, by default, fluke, ended up working in schools, because most of my career, since I retrained as a therapist, has just sort of happened. but I was I got to about 14 at uh, secondary school I was in school in Manchester and grew up in a poor working class family single parent and it was quite unusual at the time um, so I'm talking about the sort of early 80s when I was now a teenager in school and for some reason I got to about 14 but I think I was like a lot of kids in working class families where education was viewed a little bit differently and um, I got a bit Uh, disenchanted and I struggled in some of the lessons and I could feel that I was struggling I started to get this sense of just not being able to make sense of what the teacher was saying and I did approach the teacher a few times but quite quickly worked out that they weren't interested so I did what a lot of kids did at that time anyway I barely went to school between 14 and 16. I've still got my school reports and I was an A-star student but I had this perception that I was stupid and I couldn't do stuff mm. and because I couldn't understand what was going on I could see what was going on around me and I just got stuck in that and it, I mean it it marred me to some degree because I I mean I've always I, in my career I got into jobs that actually the subjects that I loved at school and I did go to the subjects with the teachers that I liked so I, I, I came out with uh, three CSEs at the time but as I got into this world um, and retrained, and it was about the same time as you, I think I was halfway through the training and uh, 97 uh, came out with the qualification in 99, is through that training, I realised a lot about myself. And, and when I went into school, I think I went in knowing that my perception about myself was clearly wrong. I'd managed to get through a course and actually ended up writing really good essays and and went on to do an MA and surprised myself in the process, and I think that was the thing that I found quite sad is that there is a lot of people walking around with this idea of who they think they are, what they're capable or not capable of doing, or that they're stupid, and they, you know, and so many people I've come into contact with have that uh, idea about themselves, and it's just not true. And mm-hmm. sometimes, like you say, it's quite it can be more of a challenge to work with somebody like that because. By the time, and in particular in the mental health field, and the colleague and I talk about this quite a lot, she's now working in her adult mental health back in secondary care, which is with clients have been known a long time. And because doctors and psychiatrists and They've not responded to treatment and this hasn't worked and that hasn't worked. They've now got this identity that they are just someone who's got mental illness Mm
2: -hmm. and they won't
0: really ever function in society again. Mm -hmm. And and I've seen some of the work that she does and one or two meetings with her because she's sometimes it's just something about the person you come into contact with that you can just transform in their presence. And we're going a bit deep here, but, Mm -hmm. you know, outside of the models, this, there's a spiritual connection that is taking place in the room and and I remember um reading about Carl Rogers at the time who was the force in the therapeutic movement from the 60s 70s and 80s and he at that time was talking about mirror neurons you know that you get a client who comes into Mm the room and you may match them to start with but then what you're doing is in NLP terms if you're matching mirroring and then you're leading moving them to the new land almost that maybe the brain can't comprehend but if they allow themselves just be a little bit open and receptive, if they feel okay in that, in that session with that person, like what you're saying, you build up that trust and that rapport. There's so many wonderful, beautiful, magical things that can happen. And, and that's partly why I've wanted to have conversations with different practitioners, because this work's going on all the time. Mm. And I've had one foot in that world and one foot in the NHS and uh, local authority world where there's a limit a, a limited um level of support available if you haven't got the financial means and you have to take whatever if you're lucky is on offer it's a postcode lottery and yet there's so many things that people can do for themselves so um
2: the problem we really- find
1: with those is is you you as a patient or a client or whatever you have to fit into the therapists who you're working into, yeah. into their model of the world Like the nhs you know you can go and have some cbt well what qualifies the doctor that's recommended you to go and have cbt what qualifies that doctor to know that only yes. cbt can help you the only
0: thing, yeah
1: and anything, it, it's very limited and very frustrating um for people to have to go along and and go and see a therapist which they're not going to be suited for that person, possibly anyway. Yeah, yeah. and um, and it's quite sad, really. You know, especially when I've had GPs come to see me. I, I used to go to um, uh, Wexham Park Hospital, which um, there's an there's an element there of teaching that goes on with regards to doctors mm-hmm. and um, new registrars or and so on the other. And I was invited on a number of occasions to go there to um add to their teaching days for different therapies, you know, some you know, so that they could be aware of well, what, uh, there is CBT available, there's NLP available, there are um the bioresonance scanner machines I use, there those those available. But I do remember, you know, depending on the uh don't know how to describe it but there were days where I went in where some of those doctors were fascinated Mm. and absolutely open to you know all these different modalities and I but I remember on one occasion where I just knew that this group of doctors that I was talking to that I was giving this lecture to none of them were listening to me Mm. and and I just thought this is fascinating there's a group I can't remember how many were but there might have been about eight or nine uh, doctors all in this Little uh, classroom, if you like, and I noticed that every single one of them, without fail, was distracted and they weren't listening to me. And I'd never had that before ever. You know, I've never gone into talking to a group of people and not had one person want to listen to what I've got to say. And uh, and the guy who had invite, who regularly used to invite me there, um, was their instructor. Um, He was busy writing something. Because he'd heard me give this talk on a number of occasions and uh and i just noticed nobody was listening to me so i thought well, there's no point me talking then so i just i just stopped <laughs> mid-sentence i just stopped and i just looked and i thought i'm just gonna see if anybody looks up and not one of them looked up none of them and i just stood there and i just looked smiling and i thought the first person to look up will see that i'm smiling and, and of course nobody did and, of course, the instructor chat, he said, oh, Steve, um, wh- why have you stopped? And I just said, nobody's listening. Not one person. And it's the first time I've seen a group of doctors get absolutely hammered. He uh, he was really, really strong with it. And he said, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Bishop has come here out of his own. And and I thought, I've never seen a doctor getting a bollocking before. <laughs> it was- yeah. Unbelievable! How closed-minded these people were. They just did not want to listen to an alternative view about what was possible. Uh, absolutely fascinating. It's never happened before, never happened since. But I think that you know, if we go into uh, as a therapist thinking that you know the only thing that we can offer is the only thing that's going to fix that person, yeah. then then we've lost. And and those doctors, you know, they. Would never have been able to help a, a patient of theirs to do anything other than what was in their blinkered view of the world as what's available.
0: Yeah, and I think it's something I've seen with, with the time that I've spent in the NHS um, where we've done a lot of best practice events to try and open people's minds to the the variations really, because you can have you can have an approach that's brilliant and has a lot of outcomes but you can have a therapist that's trained in that approach that isn't actually that good with people Mm. and vice versa. And there's certainly a trend in the UK. I've been seeing it um, since 2015. It started taking off properly since about 2018 where there's training courses in various universities now where um, people who've got psychology degrees can then go and train as a clinician in CBT. Um, and it's aimed at young people who've got anxiety and depression. Now, I'm 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 really happy to see that that we're moving that way, uh, as in opening up the idea that young people can go and talk to somebody and get some issues resolved. However, part of the findings already are that um, not all young people will respond to that way, uh, that prescriptive approach won't necessarily do the homework. It might not necessarily help. And sadly, what we end up as a lot of adults and professionals do in the field, is we call this group of people the problem group Mm. because my approach isn't working on them. Mm. So there are are many models and many good therapists, and there are many therapists who maybe haven't quite found their niche or haven't quite found the client group that they can work with. But one thing that I always encourage people to think about, going back to your point earlier, is it's about working out maybe what do you need right now and who do you think can help and tapping into your own intuition give it a go and see how you feel when you're in with that person if you mm. want to spend a lot of time talking about your issues it may be that a traditional therapist at that time might help if you want to get some resolution to things that are disturbing you like ptsd like trauma like noise sensitivity um or anything that any behavioral changes you want to make then do you want to do that the faster way or do you want to do that in the mm-hmm. other way that may or may not work um so is there any advice you could give to anybody that might be looking or anything that you're working on at the moment might that uh people might like to find out more if you got a website that people can contact or any information anywhere
1: well, my website is stevebishop.co.uk. There's some information on there about some of the different modalities that I use. But I think really it comes down to contacting me to find out whether I'm the right therapist for you. Because it may well be that, you know, what's on my website, or knowing that I can do EFT or EMO or hypnotherapy or FLP for, you know, future life program, it may well be that I might have all the tools yeah for some reason we're just not the right fit for each other um and really only a chat on the phone even for a few minutes is going to ascertain whether we're going to be able to work with each other mm-hmm. and also that um it, it doesn't cost anything you know to have a few minutes chat um but if the, the one thing that comes back to what you said right at the beginning about integrity the one thing that i value in myself is the integrity to understand that i'm not the therapist for everyone Mm. but i do know therapists that will pretty much cover everything for everyone at some point so if i'm not the right person then i know certain person over here would be ideal for you because they're really into counseling Mm. even though counseling doesn't work for me i know it's really valuable for other people so i, I know somebody who's a really good counselor over there somebody else who might be a right you know the right psychologist for somebody over there or a psychiatrist or this any other so and i think it's knowing myself that i i don't go out of my skill set mm. so if for example if somebody comes along with a with a uh, complex problem Let's say schizophrenia or something like that, that is not within my skill set to deal with um, somebody who's got multiple personalities. But I know somebody who that is their field. So, um, you know, by all means, if somebody wants to have a quick chat with me, uh, um, am I the right person for them? Be more than happy to have a chat um, and then send them wherever they want if they need to.
0: I think just on that note, uh, Stephen, I think it's great that people can do that, that they can contact you and have that chat. But in terms of mental health and well-being or mental illness and mental health is underlying many mental health conditions, whatever we call it, anxiety, depression, self-harm, suicidal, ideation, schizophrenia, psychosis is stress. Mm. And that's what's come out in the research. And a lot of people who are struggling with issues as an adult have possibly had, I think, I can't remember the numbers now, three out of ten. Had some serious issues so they were growing up, um, had experienced what are called adverse life uh life experiences. And that's where there's either been trauma in the family, drug and alcohol in the family, domestic abuse, violence, um, sexual abuse, um, really traumatized child childhoods. And we have discovered a lot more about trauma isn't just for veterans who have been on the field mm. trauma is uh, is is a range of those experiences that people have had but when we're talking about adverse childhood experiences what we do what we're looking at is if you've got one or two you might be functioning okay in the world and you're managing your relationships and you you know you're doing the kind of things that you want people who have had several and also have a negative worldview have that inner voice that's really hypercritical have uh, poor self-esteem and identity may have like you say more things that they want to work on but fundamental to all of this is stress and what I found when I was working with teenagers and with some of the adults and I was working on a a project for women who'd experienced domestic abuse is when you came out of the situation that they'd been in and we uh, rewound a little bit is they'd equally come from uh, really stressful uh, situations. And so what had happened is they were in constant fight or flight. Their system was hyper-aroused all the time. So it was about bringing the arousal down, but helping them understand the way the brain works, the way that their perception works, the way the filters, uh, what they're doing when they're filtering, and building up that rapport, and also enabling them to trust their initial thought, their initial reaction. Because some people have watered that down so much through to circumstances so anybody that's listening to this either themselves or somebody else that they know are experiencing something that they're concerned about yeah we can go through the usual channels go through the nhs go to a doctor if you don't want to be medicated and i'm not pro medication i think there are occasions where it can be really valuable for that person because they have gone into massive stress, overwhelm and um, overload. When someone's at that point, they do need a lot of assistance to help them
2: Mm. and
0: should have access to the the helplines where they can get some assistance from mental health charities and don't suffer in silence. But understanding how they're um, experiencing the stress and reducing that and getting that, what you talked about in your very early example about emotional regulation, of bringing that down if they can experience that with you um and find a way of tapping back into that or even developing a safer place and safer states then they will become more open receptive even if you don't even if you don't work with them and other therapists don't they can have a couple of sessions just to re- reduce that stress because yeah. it's stress and overwhelm that tips people over the edge and we've exactly. just had holidays which can be really stressful for people but um i just wanted before we ended uh for you to tell us about some of the other things you're involved with um you're going to come back and we're going to have some deeper conversations about those uh other bits of work that you do but and i I don't want to forget how how does steve also look after his own well-being
1: well i'd like to answer all of those but my other half has just turned up outside and can't get in the door and is just okay. constantly pressing the doorbell <laughs> so you're talking about your own mental well-being in you... my head I'm thinking
0: stop ringing that bell <laughs> right I'm going to put this on pause and yeah. I'll see you in a moment okay so Steve just as we were talking about stress and the impacts of that you had something that you weren't expecting and so <laughs> your whole system went into stress and overwhelm <laughs>
1: so anyway we were saying it some of the different um things that i do um which might be interesting for people is the bioresonance scanning stuff that i do which Mm -hmm. can be done remotely um scalar energies um all different sorts of frequencies is the other and those are things which can help people physically and emotionally um where it's not necessarily having to be face-to-face. So, you know, you don't have to be in the therapy room, so to speak. Mm. So um, that's a big session, chatting about that, because there's a lot to it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it scans people to be able to find out what sort of things are going on from a viral, bacterial, pathogenic all all those sorts of things where you can understand what may be causing physical symptoms in somebody Um, but also how the emotions can play a part in that as well Mm -hmm. where you know your emotions can be giving you physical symptoms um, and where we can analyze your voice pattern and the analysis of that voice pattern will tell you which emotions are causing you a problem right now um, and then give you set of uh musical tones to listen to if you like embedded in a in a a musical track and those frequency tones um can balance out where there is an imbalance within your body so we can go into all of that sort of thing as well
0: it'd be really interesting to find out more about that because it it sort of sounds similar um you know I, i do a lot of sound healing go to crystal sound baths and this Mm. about frequency and the influence of frequency on the body so i look forward to that and you were going to tell me about how does steve look after his own well-being
1: um in a number of different ways firstly to make sure that you're fully hydrated believe it or not if you're dehydrated um any stress is going to be worse for you than if you're hydrated you know if you're dehydrated you can have physical manifestations of ill health like even just you know muscle fatigue um digestion issues headaches and all those things and then you know those things themselves can add physically to what's going on emotionally and make you feel overwhelmed yeah. so i think that you know the very the very basic thing that you can do is to make sure that you drink plenty of water every day but the right water um i make sure that my water is all filtered and it's all charged with the right energies um, so that the cells in your body can absorb that water um, and any trace minerals or vitamins or whatever it is that you're taking. Um, if you've got good quality water, then your body will absorb it far better than if it's just um poor quality water or tap water yeah. or whatever, depending on where you are living in the country or in the world. Um, and I also use my own um scanning frequency machine. I use that on myself every single day to give me a snapshot if you like of my state of health physically and emotionally so that I can um, take steps to avoid things that might be coming up you know it might be indicating that I've got some um, increased level of energy towards certain foods and it can tell me where I might have some food allergies foods to avoid today for example you know you may be a little bit overwhelmed with eating too much of something anybody says I need a bit of a rest from it um, so the scanning machine is able to give you a, a complete rundown of everything that your body is ingesting and um, cause and showing you where it's a cause for concern you know sometimes days months weeks uh, or even years in advance of it causing you a problem so uh, yeah I use those pretty much every day
0: And was there a story about an ice
2: cream
1: van before we finish? <laughs> well when I, um, uh realized during the covid era uh lockdown this and the other that i missed seeing people because uh, i used to see people face to face for therapy this and the other mm. um that was my main preferred way of dealing with people um i i missed people and and of course when lockdown came along it, it pretty much stopped all of that so i thought i need to find some other way of connecting with people um and one of the things that was still allowed was um you know the service of or delivery of food so an uncle uh, of mine had told me oh i don't know 30 years ago he said if you ever want to be um looking at a successful business then get yourself an ice cream van so I, i bought a really a lovely beautiful ice cream van um and uh, it enabled me to go out and about and see people and of course it was it was therapy for me because I was able to see people who were happy to see me they were smiling again <laughs> you know and I was providing them with little treats or ice creams this or the other and you and you could just see that people's face would light up and I thought yeah do you know what sometimes you just need to see a smile so yeah that's my my little hobby business on the side is I've got lovely a beautiful ice cream
0: van which uh, I really enjoy and it goes to show doesn't it is that we can put a smile on people's faces in all sorts of ways it doesn't have to be through therapy it doesn't have to be anything complicated mm. but it is a big you know gives us joy as well as they feel joy and there's nothing more magical than that so mm. thank mm. you very much for your time today Steve um, we're going to put when we put post it up uh access to your website so people can contact you and give you a call or
2: send you a message. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Mel. All right, thank you. See you.